listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 280. What's up, Mark? What's up is that we're actually back in our studio instead of in front of a live audience. That and was pretty much chaos for me. It was, but it was a fun time. It was fun. I just couldn't hear you. We literally couldn't hear each other. They were so loud. I had to like turn around and like try to read your lips. <laughs> it's just crazy. But like I said, good time. Love those guys over at FIS. Speaking of loving stuff, if you want to love this podcast, we have a new way for you to leave reviews. Basically, there's a link in the show notes, so you just scroll up or left if you're on iOS and Android, or if you're a brainiac and you can remember URLs, it's lovethepodcast.com forward slash OGTW for Oil & Gas This Week. No matter what device you're on, it's a single easy place to leave reviews for this show, like we got from RSR4R from Russia. Yeah, yeah. So it's a five-star, great show for years. Hello, Mark and Paige. It's a great show with quality materials. I've been listening to it since 2016. I share episodes with my fellow colleagues at the well sites over the Eastern Hemisphere. My question, how can one find a virtual volunteer opportunity in energy transformation area? Any advice will come in handy. Thank you. Thank you for the review, RSR4R from Russia. And before I answer his questions, real quick, if you notice that we're starting to have reviews against from all over the world, that's because for a period of time, we were only getting reviews from the U.S. Apple Podcast site, not the 133 Apple Podcast sites that are around the world. Does it also cover Spotify now? And Spotify now, too. Okay, yeah. cool. So all of our international listeners who wrote in reviews and we never mentioned it, we love you. We just didn't see them, so we're oh, catching but we're, up. We're seeing them now, and some of them are very colorful. They are very colorful. But to answer your question, RSR4R from Russia, you know what I would do? I would go online, speaking of podcasts, and find all the, there must be probably 40 or 50 that I know of, Energy Transition Podcast right? Because you're looking for a virtual volunteering opportunity, reach out to the podcast host. Podcast hosts are always looking for somebody to do free work. You probably can help them with research. And in that research and helping them schedule guests, you're going to meet the people that are in the energy transformation area. So just naturally would benefit everybody. I think it'd be a quick, easy way if you have a little bit of fun and do some virtual volunteering in that space. There you go. There you go. All right. First one actually is sent in by Jason Lee. Exxon's exodus, employees have finally had enough of its toxic culture. This is interesting. Yeah, this is in Bloomberg, who is not a big fan of ExxonMobil. And I know Exxon very well. And for Exxon listeners, I love you, right? I still, to this day, think you're the best oil and gas project management and engineering company on the planet, bar none. However, I don't like doing business with you because you're hard to do business with. I think you've mentioned that yeah. like at least five times. Yeah, and the reason... <laughs> that Exxon has that culture is they have that command and control culture like the military has. And I actually think in the right situation, that is a good way to run your organization. When you're a super major and you're dealing with stuff that can blow up, kill people, ruin the environment, cause issues with different governments around the world, having that much control is useful. At the same time, what has happened is our workforce has changed. 
So the old way of working, the way I grew up, is that you got a job, you did it for 30 years, whether you liked it or not, and then you enjoyed life when you were finished because you retired. And this new workforce is not going to go down that route. They want to enjoy life now. No matter how much you pay them, they want new experiences, right? They want to make a difference. And Exxon needs to adapt to that. In this article, they're talking about how Exxon's making more money than it has in its 140-year history, but they had over 12,000 departures, and less than, I think, 30% of those were from layoffs which means that 70% of people walking away. And let me tell you, Exxon's competitive differentiator is its talent. When you have you know, a mechanical engineer or a subsea engineer or a turnaround manager that's been doing it for 20, 25, 30 years, they're so good at it. And that's why Exxon can make money in areas of the world that other companies can't. But if you lose that talent, you lose your competitive differentiator. So this article goes in. They really talk about some kind of toxic stuff. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But I do know that Exxon needs to change the way that it runs its culture. And I do know that that change has become really slow. But however, Exxon, if you don't, you're going to have trouble getting talent in an industry that's already struggling yeah, to get talent. Yeah, I was going to say. So you really don't have a choice. And by the way, Exxon, if you want some help with this, reach out to me in all sincerity. Because we're independent third party and because we talk to other companies all around the world, I probably can give you a couple pointers that would help you do this a little bit quicker without making your upper executives have a hissy fit. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next one is Shell warns weak earnings from gas trading could impact profits. Yes, this is really interesting. So number one, the refining margin dropped. Listen to this number. Last quarter, there were $28 a barrel. That's the profit they made. Now it's dropping to $15 a barrel. You want to know why? Why? For refinery constraints still left over from the pandemic. And then their LNG business is suffering. You want to know why? Why? Because they can't move it quick enough Uh, based upon our politics and Europeans' politics, right? Mm. So it's hurting their bottom line. And as a shareholder show, I want you to do it just a little bit better. You're reacting to this a little bit slower than your competition did. So your other competitors saw this coming and did what they can to move turnarounds around so they can keep the refineries up this last quarter of this year while the world's going in energy shortage. And they also brokered longer-term deals with LNG, not as high a margin, but something that was very bankable. So Shell's in a good place. I mean, their margins, like all the super majors, are great. They're making money finally after the last 10 years of losing money. But it looks like that they're going to take a little bit of a hit. And I think that hit could have been avoided. All right. So next one is White House claims Saudis coerced OPEC plus to cut escalating feud. Okay. I'm trying not to get too political here because people say I get too political, but (laughs) darn it, people. It's what's affecting our industry right now. It's what's hindering us. More than anything. Exactly. So a couple of things. So White House accused Saudi Arabia of and OPEC plus countries, which is Russia, which really it's not OPEC plus. It's not Russia. Russia has its own problems to deal with right now. It's really Saudi Arabia and OPEC. They made a 2 million barrel a day cut in production last week. And if you remember me talking about it, what they really did is they only realistically, they said 2 million, but really only cut in a million because they couldn't produce the number of barrels that they said they could, right? You've heard me talk about this for, for two years now, right? Now, our current administration basically is saying, we did the financial research for you, OPEC, and we show you that you don't need to cut this production. Number one, OPEC never cares about our financial predictions of their (laughs) industry. This is utterly retarded to even do that. And number two, unfortunately, our current administration doesn't understand the oil and gas industry. So whatever financials they put in front of them, I guarantee you are wrong. And it was probably taken as an insult by the royal family as like, you don't know what you're doing. The other thing, though, Paige, that really worries me, and I hope we have a constitutional attorney listen that can tell me if I'm right or wrong about this. 
So OPEC says that our current administration asked them not to make these cuts for two more months until after the midterm elections. Now, the reason they did that is they know, even though they don't know much about our industry, our current administration knows that the perception of these cuts affecting pump prices will make pump prices go up, which they have. And the Mm. reality of a million barrels a day coming off the market is also affecting pump prices, especially around futures. So if they ask OPEC to delay these cuts until after the midterm elections, I think that falls into the lines of asking outside governments to interfere in our political process, Hmm. which I'm not mistaken is one of the things that you could be charged of under treason, Mm. which is serious. So once again, I don't know legally if that's legit or not, but I do know legitly our current administration asked them not to make the cuts based upon their market research for two months until after the midterm elections, which is just wrong. OPEC did what it thought was best for OPEC, which is what they always do. And then our current administration is trying to spin it in a way that just aren't, isn't just based mi- on Just misleading, yeah, again. Yeah, aren't based on facts. Mm-hmm. We're in an energy shortage. The world is in an energy shortage and will be continue to be an energy shortage at least for another year. I think closer to two years, which, by the way, my predictions are coming out in a couple of weeks for, for next year. So stay tuned for that. Woo woo. All right. Diamondback Energy to buy Permian Driller Firebird for $1.6 billion. Yep. So this is a smaller guy snapping up the acreage that's good for how they do business. And this is a perfect example. We have another one coming up, too, for a different reason. So basically, Diamondback, this is a great time for them to pick up Firebird. That $1.6 billion investment is cash and stock. This will give them prime acreage in the Permian, allow them to expand it's also most of the locations are adjacent to Pioneer's existing operations. So it's just an add on to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. About half this deal we fund it with equity, but it's really not going to affect the balance sheet or cash flow for what a dimeback will generate next year. Once again, this is a great merger. So people who keep their jobs in both companies, the only people that have to worry are the duplicate roles like HR, accounting, that sort of stuff. The hydrocarbons from the Permian are in huge demand, so I expect Diamondbacks to use this to grow. I don't expect – I know they're going to use this to grow, which is just good for the world and for the employees of the combined companies and and for everybody. Okay. Speaking of ExxonMobil, ExxonMobil considers takeover of oil recovery specialist Denberry. Big shout to Jeff, my buddy over there at Denberry. I'm not going to say his last name because I don't want anybody to know who he is (laughs) with this potential takeover going on. I should have saw this one coming. Denberry does something better than anybody else out there, and that's using CO2 for well stimulation. And they have a huge infrastructure to buy carbon dioxide, to move it around in pipelines and get it to well sites. Exxon is jumping into this carbon capture and storage business with both feet because it makes sense to them because they get basically tax dollars to build all this infrastructure to generate revenue later. And this makes total sense for Exxon to pick up Denberry resources. Denberry also, I'll give them hats off, has the most aggressive net zero targets of any company I know of, oil and gas company. They're actually aiming to be carbon negative by 2030 instead of just carbon neutral. Looks like they're working with an advisor on this, which means everything's kind of mummed word, like we don't have a lot of details. But we're looking at, you know, four to six billion dollar investment by ExxonMobil. And I just think it's genius. It fits into Exxon's new carbon capture and storage business. Denberry has a proven track record of making money using carbon dioxide. So once again, I think this is a win-win for everybody. Well, this one pissed me off. Oil protesters arrested after throwing tomato soup at Van Gogh painting. Okay, so first thing, totally asinine. First thing, this group, Just Stop Oil, has financial backers. Whoever those financial backers are, and I think I know who they are, I'm just not sure. So from a liability reason, I'm not going to say it. They need to be held accountable. The financial backers need to be charged with crime, not these two young misguided young ladies who, I hate to tell them, should we tell them where Superglue comes from? 
<laughs> I mean, you could, but it, it doesn't mean... It literally comes from hydrocarbons. So you're fighting to stop oil, and you're using oil products in your fight, gluing your hands to the wall after you throw tomato soup on the Van Gogh painting. Now, the other question I have for these two young ladies is, why do they pick tomato soup? Is that Van Gogh's favorite? I, I don't know. I don't understand any of that. <laughs> And this is the typical misguided approach where they basically said, hey, what are you more concerned about protecting a painting or protection for our planet and its people? Well, our planet and our people are much better off with hydrocarbons without it. And this painting is historic and worth a few dollars. And you should not, young ladies, be throwing tomato soup and gluing yourself to the wall. Do you really think that's going to make a difference? Well, that comes back to the guy that glued himself to the desk at Shell. Yeah. Let's just kind of talk through this a little bit. So you have people like me that believe hydrocarbons are the most valuable thing to mankind. You also have people like me that believe that this climate crisis is not real. And you have people on the other side that believe it is real and that we need to get rid of fossil fuels. But you have a whole bunch of people in the middle, right, who are not really sure which way to go with this. Do you think this helps the environmental cause or hurts it? Because if I'm in the middle and I see people doing stupid stuff like this, I'm going to go, they're a bunch of maniacs. What else do they do? They don't know what they're talking about. So this didn't accomplish anything other than get some clickbait and get two young women arrested. I don't really want the judge to throw the book at them. They really should not have damaged that painting. And luckily, they didn't damage the painting. They damaged the frame a little bit. The, the painting's just fine. I do wish that the judge and the prosecutor do a deep dive and find out who financed this and throw the book at them. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have an idea who it is, too. But all they got slapped with was criminal damage and aggravated trespass. So, I know, I know. Israel and Lebanon reach historic agreement to resolve a long-running maritime border dispute. I would have lost money on this one. Yeah, I got a little, bit, <laughs> a little bit of history. In Lebanon, love the people there. Same way with Israel, love the people there. But actually, the war is still going on. People act like the war has stopped. It's still going on. Yeah, I was gonna say. What happens is in the Mediterranean, they've made some major gas fines and actually some oil fines as well. And both countries' offshore reach covers those oil and gas fields. So it's been a point of contention. These two adversaries, honestly, they really don't like each other. They've been fighting for a long time. How many years has it been? Do you even know? (sighs) The 80s? Yeah, I thought. Yeah. yeah. And so, like I said, there's still still wartime. They've never signed a peace agreement on this, right? But it looks like the U.S. Special Envoy Amos Hoshersen came in and helped these two sides negotiate a deal. Both sides, including Hamas, has agreed that this deal is good for everybody. And basically, all we did is drew a line right down the middle. So neither side got more than the other Mm -hmm. and said, you get half, you get half. And how about together we work on the infrastructure to be able to bring that gas and oil back to shore so both countries benefit. And like I said, everybody agreed to it, which I was quite honestly a bit surprised, especially since, like I said, Helsabah agreed to this, which is the really strong terrorist organization. Good stuff, people. This is the type of stuff the world needs. Yeah. Two countries that haven't gotten along for a very long period of time with a little bit of help negotiate a deal that's good for both countries in the world. I love this sort of stuff. This is a great feel-good story. Yes. Speaking of feel-good, majors donate to hurricane relief efforts. Yep. So, Shell, even though I bashed you a little bit for the way you handled your business and caused share prices to drop, hats off for making these contributions to the Hurricane Ian Ian and the residents that were harmed by this storm. Chevron also has chipped into this. This is awesome. This is what our industry does. They're not going to get any money out. This is not anything they're going to get back. They're not getting any PR around this. They're not even marketing this that they did this themselves. This is a third party that marketed this. Actually, I think it came from the American Red Cross. 
But they're donate money to help the people whose lives were impacted by this hurricane, which is just beautiful, wonderful thing. Let's hope that everybody that did get impacted gets a piece of this and helps them get back to normal life. CGT Union votes continue strike at Total Energy's French refineries. This is getting serious. There's already street fights over the lack of petrol is what you call it in Europe, but lack of gasoline, if you're listening to this in the U.S., basically fuel for your vehicle. And people are getting upset. The French government keeps saying everything's okay. It is not okay. They had issues with refining enough fuel for the people before the refineries went on strike. This is major. I don't exactly agree with the union. I also don't exactly agree with the French government. This is one of those places where we need a we need a negotiation like what happened with Lebanon and Israel. Both sides are holding out. Quite frankly, the union has all the cards. As the French people get more and more upset as they can't buy fuel for their vehicles, they're going to want to vote the current politicians out. And, and that happens no matter what political side you're on. This standoff's going to go for some time yet. And like I said, the union definitely has the upper hand here because of what's going on in, in, with this world's energy shortage. Right, right. All right. So Schlumberger faces employee backlash in Russia over draft cooperation. Love you, Schlumberger. Don't love what you're doing here. <laughs> so basically, what's going on in Russia right now is they're so desperate for soldiers. And you heard me talk earlier about how they're letting criminals out and bringing them to the front lines. Now they're basically grabbing Russian male citizens and they're making them. They're not drafting them. No, yeah. Drafting's a lottery. They are literally grabbing and making them. If you try to, yeah, if you try to escape, you're stuck with 10 years automatically. So Schlumberger has big operations in Russia, like a lot of the other service companies do, Halliburton, Baker Hughes. But what they're doing is they're not letting their Russian employees leave the country because Russia asked Schlumberger for that so that these Russian employees can be constricted. And they're also passing on the legal messaging from Russia's government to the employees. So they're basically helping make sure that message gets out to all their Russian employees that they they may be constricted. If they get constricted, this is what you have to do. If, If you try to get away, this is the penalties, all that stuff. And it's pissed a lot of people off. And quite frankly, I don't like it either. You know, Schlumberger is a French company, but most of their operations are here in the U.S. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm gonna call it, that's not the right thing to do. Your Russian employees are your employees, just like your French employees and your Brazilian employees and American employees. And you're not taking their best interests at heart. I do realize that you're probably looking at millions of dollars of lost revenue, but you're getting really close to violating basic human rights, in my opinion. So Slumberjay, you can do better. Do better. Sweden shuns formal joint investigation of Nord Stream leak, citing national security. Okay, people, I don't know the inside scoop here, and I'll probably never will know, but let me tell you this much. Remember, Sweden did their own investigation. They basically blockaded the leak at Nord Stream 1 and 2, or where the, that's the word I'm looking for, where the sabotage was done. Mm-hmm. They did their own investigation. They gathered evidence, which means they got stuff, right? Yeah. Think of type forensic type of stuff. And now they're saying they're not going to let the world know what happened because what they figured out affects their national security. Now, if you don't know this about Sweden, historically, no matter what's going on, which world war or whatever, they're always neutral. And the funny thing is, Everybody thinks they're neutral because they don't want to get involved. The truth is that the Swedes are by law required to go in the military. They're trained for a very long period of time. They're specialized. And then they don't ever get out. 
So they quit the training, but they go back to their houses and they go back to their normal jobs. But the machine gunner is still the machine gunner. He still yeah. has a machine gun in his house and mm-hmm. his loader still a loader. And, you know, the mortar guy is still a mortar guy. So if you ever want to take over Sweden, it would be impossible house to house fighting where the entire country is trained to fight. That's so awesome. that's why they stay neutral because nobody wants to have to deal with that. So for them to say this is affecting their national security means it's probably a big player. And like I said earlier, when this first happened, I figured because of the depth of the water and the complexity of using whatever explosives they used at that water depth, that it just couldn't be an environmental terrorist group. It had to be a country. I'm telling you, I'm going to call it right now. I think it's Russia. I think Russia blew up their own pipe. For, for Sweden to say it's national security, if it would have been the U.S., which a lot of Europeans think the U.S. did this, and I'm telling you, if we did this, you wouldn't know that we did it. Sweden would have easily disclosed that. Any other country, it would have done it. I'm going to call it right now. I think Russia did it. Yeah. No proof, anybody. So don't, you know, no hate mail if it's not Russia, but just the fact that Swedes' criminal investigation into the Nord Stream leaks resulted in them making a conclusion. And that conclusion, they believe, affects their national security. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scary times. It is scary times. All right. So Diesel's gloomy message for the global economy. Told y'all about this. I told you this was coming. <laughs> so we can't refine enough diesel. The world's picking back up. Construction's picking back up, which requires diesel. Over-the-road trucking's picking back up, which requires diesel. Farming's picking back up, which requires diesel. And we just can't keep up. The world can't keep up because of the number of refineries that were shut down during COVID. And then, especially in this country, trying to bring them back online in this current political administration is hard, much less trying to build a new refinery to meet future capacity. And all the incidents. Yeah, yeah. So they literally can't refine enough diesel, and there's not enough of it, which means the price is going up. Now, what's sad about that, and we're getting ready to talk about the next part of cost of farming. What's sad about this, the second biggest cost of agriculture is diesel. So by the price of diesel going up, the price of foods could go up. And the price of everything that's transported over the road trucks, which in most countries is almost everything you get. Anything you pick from Amazon is the price that could go up because of this. Any food you pick up in your local grocery store, the price that could go up because of this. So at some point, we will get to the point where we have enough diesel for the market page. I don't think it'll be next year. I think it'll be 2024 before we get there. Oh, my. Yeah. So this is not a good story. Oh, all right. So fertilizer supply tightness and weather events seen challenging food security this in 2022-23. Yep. Yeah. So I talked about this. Actually, my predictions for last year, November of last year, I talked about this exact thing because 60% of the world is fed with fertilizer made from natural gas. But about 80% of the cost of fertilizer is the ammonia made from natural gas. And there's not enough natural gas on the market. And the mm-hmm. prices are going up. This is the number one cost of farmer is fertilizer. So when you have the number one cost going up, and the number two costs going up, I promise you food prices are going up. And unfortunately, Paige, you and I maybe don't eat out as much or maybe we don't get steaks every Thursday, but we'll be fine. It's our world's poor people that are going to really suffer from this. Yeah. You're going to have people not be able to feed their kids. You're going to have old people have to choose between freezing to death or buying food. This is a horrible, horrible place that could have easily been avoided. We saw the warning signs, not just me, that oh, thousands of people around the world saw this. If we would have made sure that the natural gas supplies were there, we could have avoided this, and we didn't. And so we got to get through this. Once again, I don't think this is going to change next year. I think it's going to be 2024 before fertilizer prices come back down. Mm. I hope and pray I'm wrong, people. All right. So Shell Oil pioneer Harold Hamm to take Continental Resources private. We talked about this too a while back. I'm on a roll, and people, I'm not that good. I'm just <laughs> It's just a lot of luck. Um, so basically, Harold said, you know what? 
There's so much bad politics and decision making in the U.S. that running a public company that answers to shareholders where you can have activists join the board, eh, eh, I'm not doing that anymore. So this is one of the richest guys in the oil and gas industry, one of the richest guys in the world. I think he's in the top 100 richest guys in the world, super smart guy. He's basically going back and buying all the shares of his company so he can take it private. Well, that's one way to do yeah. it. So he's going to do what he wants to do, right? And then once he takes it private, he can do – and he can't do what he wants. But once he takes it private, you can't have activists and investors get on the board. You have no board to answer to, quite frankly. And so for someone like Harold Hamm, who's got it right for years, this is a good move. It's also a good move for the employees. The employees aren't going to have to worry about things that affect ESG metrics. And be real careful here. ESG is awesome. We've needed it for years. I'm glad it's here. It's moving the needle. But some of the ESG stuff you have to do is a waste of time, and it adds cost, and it makes people's jobs harder or longer. He's going to get rid of all of that. So I love this. I knew when he bought the last bit of Continental stock that this is where he's going, or I suspect it, and now it just proves him right. So hats off to Harold Ham. This is – I don't want to say it's, it is genius, but he's, I'm so used to him doing genius stuff. It's like just everyday stuff for Harold. I would just say good strategy. Good strategy, yeah. All right, last article. Technip FMC sees sucks seed garden. That was a mouthful. <laughs> so, this is one of my connections on LinkedIn. Candace Axel. She works for Technip FMC. And by the way, Candace, thank you. Your company sponsors our upstream podcast. So, Technip Grump Campus, they did something really cool that I didn't know they were doing. They planted a garden and they did a lot of research. They have a lot of great engineers over there. They plant the first of its kind. They start it in May, and there's a bunch of fruits and vegetables that they're growing, and they could take the harvested fruit and vegetables and donate to local schools and communities in underserved areas. This is like genius. It's very simple. It's not very expensive, using land that they already had, and it's just a great social project that is actually fun, right? So now some of the Technique FMCs get to go work in the garden. <laughs> if you think of Technique FMC just as a subsea company, I got news for you. They're, <laughs> They're doing a lot more than that, including garden. So I, just, I thought this was a great feel-good article. Threw it in here. The link is to LinkedIn if you want to go check it out. All right. That's all the articles. That's all the articles. We don't have any more? No. Well, if you want to have more, especially advertising with us. <laughs> so if you want to have more, especially if you want to advertise with us, if you okay. want to get in front of the entire global oil and gas industry, we have ad spots now that you can buy for this show or any of our other shows. They're dirt cheap. Just go to OGGN.com, hit pricing. If we can help you that, reach out. And then our Energy Continuity Conference has been moved to April. Exhibitor spots are still available. Put a link in the show notes for that. Weekly rig count page. Well, now that you can actually hear me and I don't have to say, <laughs> hey, dude, you got to let me do it this time. <laughs> the United States is at 769, up 7. Canada is at 216, up 1. And internationally, we're at 879 up 19. Good numbers. Love those numbers. Yep. Now we just got to build some pipelines and refineries to do some with all those, all that crude. Yep. Go to LinkedIn, join the LinkedIn group. Pretty simple stuff. And then while you're out there, if you want to ask a question for First Friday QA, which is right around the corner, go to either website, allandgasthisweek.com or ogn.com is a place for you to ask a question. And I did figure out the email thing. So on allandgasthisweek.com, it's required to put your email in. For OGGN.com, the field is there, but it's not required. So just remember, if you ask us a question or you want us to get back to you, you have to make sure you include your email or we have no way to get back in touch with you. And then finally, go grab a link to our monthly All and Gas Events newsletter. We put all the events once a month in your inbox for free. And then if you want myself or your experts come to speak at your event, which I did just recently at FIS, that's the, the podcast yeah, we could exactly. hear each other. <laughs> Reach out to us. We'd be happy to share the details. That's actually a lot of fun to have a live podcast at your event. Whew, that was a lot. You ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. 
Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.